grateful for the prayer that's been offered by our precious brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd ask that each one of you would pray for us during this, this time that we stand before you. We're very thankful for the, uh, the spirit of unity and peace that we had during conference. And we pray that the same spirit that blessed us during conference would bless us during the preaching portion of our worship service. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I, I trust that you do. I want to encourage everyone to bring your Bible to church. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. The book of Galatians chapter 5. I want to begin this morning by reading the first four verses of the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. Paul's letter to the church is, that's plural, of Galatia. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, or by your works under the law. Then he says, ye are fallen from grace. If God would be our helper this morning in the time that we have before you, I would like for us to consider something that we cannot fall from. Then let us consider those things that we can fall from. This letter that the Apostle Paul penned by inspiration of the Spirit to these churches of Galatia was, was for a purpose. It's good to keep in mind when Paul penned this letter, it was not to just one single church. It was to the churches of Galatia. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ established the church. The church was there in Jerusalem, but the church went from Jerusalem out to other countries. If you remember, there's a church that was established in Antioch, one in Derby, Lystra, and other cities. And finally, in the end of the Bible, you have seven churches out in Asia Minor, the seven churches of Asia. When the Apostle Paul penned this letter to the churches of Galatia, there were several churches that were established in this region. There were a lot of people that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, believed the truth, about eternal salvation by grace and grace alone and were exercising and practicing according to the scripture, worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. But we all should remember, never forget, that when things are going good, the devil's mad. See, the devil gets upset when things are going good. I heard a story once about two churches that were on opposite sides of a street. And there was one church that was just an absolute turmoil. And another church was almost in peace, but the devils and demons were in there trying to torment the people. And there was a preacher that walked down the street and he looked to the one on the right that was in absolute turmoil. And there was a demon on the steps of the church just willing to stick. And he looked on the left and the church that was in somewhat peace, trying to be in peace, and the devil and the demons were in there just causing torment. And he asked the demon that was on the steps of this porch of this church, why are you here with the stick? He said, well, everything in here is going the way I want it to. 
See, when things are in turmoil and chaos, the devil is pleased. But the devil's not pleased when things are in peace and going well and the Lord is blessing. And he's going to oppose that. Well, the devil opposed that. And there were individuals that did not believe the truth as it was preached by Jesus Christ that was preached by the apostles. And these individuals went out from Judea and tried to sow false doctrine. Why? Because they wanted things the way they believed. Now, what did they believe? They believed that it was impossible for someone to be a born-again child of God unless they had been circumcised after the law of Moses and went through a series of washings that was required under Judaism. And there were several trips that were made by the Apostle Paul and other disciples to Jerusalem to speak to the apostles. See, during the times of the apostles, the word of God was not completed. They didn't have the 66 books of the Bible. And when there was trouble in the church, they would always go back to someone who was an eyewitness, who heard the truth himself. What was the qualification of being an apostle? You know, today if a man stood up and said, Hey, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I say, No, he's not. A man can be a minister of the gospel, he can be a pastor, a God-called preacher, but a man today cannot be an apostle as required by the Bible. For a man to be an apostle that was sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ, he would have to be baptized of John and a witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a requirement in Acts chapter 1. Meaning that man would have to be with the Lord, hear him directly, be taught by him directly, and understand those things that the Lord taught. And when the churches, after the Lord ascended back to heaven, would have trouble, they would go back to Jerusalem. What did the Lord say? Tell us what he said. What did he say? Now today, we've got a completed word of God, 66 books. We don't need any more truth than what God has given us right here. He's given us the truth. Every God, every help we need is right here in the Word of God. We don't have to go back and find an apostle. We've got the direct law of God, the direct Word of God here in our hands to go to when we have trouble. But when this trouble arose, all the letters of the New Testament were not written. So what they do? They go back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 15, if you turn there with me, records one of these events. And it was Luke, the physician, the one that had penned the gospel of Luke, that actually wrote these things. And this was a trip that was made by the apostle Paul and, and disciples that were with him back to Jerusalem. And the reason they went back to Jerusalem to get help from the apostles, information from them, Verse 1, it said, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. That's the brethren in Antioch. It said, Except you be circumcised after the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you've been circumcised after the law of Moses, after the tradition that God gave Abraham, there is no way you are a born-again child of God. Now, what I want you to do in that verse, I want you to insert, just for a moment, just for thinking, for edification, insert anything that anyone would say in this world right there in that verse. Insert it. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, except, except you be baptized with water, you cannot be saved. It's still a law. All right, let's insert something else. A certain, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren and said, except 
you go to a mourner's bench and recite this prayer, you cannot be saved. All right, let's insert something else. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren and said, except you get right and stay right and stay perfect all your days, you cannot be saved. All of those that I just inserted are still laws. And all of those that I just mentioned would be setting aside Jesus Christ. Saying that what Jesus did was not enough. It requires more than what the Lord has done. That's the reason the Apostle Paul would say there in Galatians chapter 5 that Christ has become no effect unto you. Meaning what Jesus did didn't do nothing. Now when they came to the apostles, I really appreciate what Peter said. Back to Acts chapter 15 and verse 10. Peter said, now therefore why tempt ye God? In verse 10, and why put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? Why are you going to put a yoke on people's neck that they cannot bear? Why are we going to say it requires us to do something under the law? We can't do it. If there had been a standard for us to keep to become born-again children of God, none of us would be born-again children of God because none of us could do it. And if there had been and we could have done it, which we could not, then there was no need for Christ to come into the world. All we had to do is just do what it said do. No, that's, that's not the way it worked. The way it works is this. We're dead alien sinners away from God. We're unable to do good. And we're in need of salvation by grace. When I was dead in sins, I didn't need help. I needed life. I needed eternal salvation. I needed the Lord to come to me and save me by His grace. Then Peter would say there in verse 11, Acts chapter 15, but we believe. Wow, here's a declaration of faith. I remember years ago, people were getting excited about different declarations of faith. There's declarations of faith in the Bible. Then this is what Peter said, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. What is he saying? We should be saved just like the Gentiles are saved. We should be saved just like those in the Old Testament are saved. We should be saved the same as every child of God is saved by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. John chapter 3 and verse 8. Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he said, The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that's born of the Spirit. All that will be in heaven will be in heaven for the same reason. And that's because God loved them and Jesus came in the world and died for them and the Holy Spirit has put that salvation in their heart by His direct work and it's by grace and grace alone. Now these brethren in Acts chapter 15, they'd come down, let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, down to Galatia trying to overthrow the truth that was taught, salvation by grace. People put their hope in the Lord. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. And the Apostle Paul said, you know, if you believe that, you've fallen from grace. What grace have they fell from? Because they believed that, did they stop being children of God? No. It's impossible for a child of God to fall from eternal grace. We are saved by grace and kept by grace. There's a saying that people used to have and it's said in the pulpit. You don't hear it too often anymore, but that say, once saved, always saved. 
Once you're saved by the grace of God, you're always saved, and nothing is going to change that fact. I had a man tell me once, well, Brother Ronnie, we know angels fell in the Bible. And if angels fell, you know you could fall. I said, there's a big difference in me and an angel. I said, angels were made by God's creative power. I said, man and God's children were made by God's creative power, but they were bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You show me one angel that was bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear child of God, not only are you created by God, You've been purchased by God. By His precious blood that He offered for you on the cross of Calvary. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, but you are bought with a price. Christ paid for you, and praise God, He's going to have all that He paid for. I never met anyone that's willing to go out of Walmart and leave behind something they bought. Have you? Do you ever go to Walmart and pay for something, just walk off, just leave it at the counter? You won't do it too many times. <laughs> Nobody likes to leave stuff behind that they bought. Now, if I don't like to leave things behind I bought, don't tell me the Lord's going to leave something behind he bought. He's not going to leave anything behind that he purchased. We're his and nothing can change that. The Bible teaches us that we are preserved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the first verse of the book of Jude? We're preserved in him. What does preserved mean? That means we're kept and guarded and protected and nothing can take us away from him. And my grandmother, I remember going to her house one day and she pulled out some, some beans that were canned. You know, my grandmother, she would can beans. She would take swabs of cotton and, you know, rub all over the jar and new mason lids to make sure it all sealed up. When she showed me a jar of beans, she said, look, look, Ronnie, I lost my preserves. They had spoiled. I said, Granny, if they were preserved, you wouldn't have lost them. The problem is they were never preserved. But the Bible says we are preserved in the Lord Jesus Christ. And could there be a better container to be in than, than him? Him? For one of us to be spoiled and not have a home in heaven, it would take the spoiling of him. And he is on the right hand of the Father, accepted in perfect fellowship. And because of that, praise God, we will all be one day with him. The Bible also says we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now, and that now means right now and from now on. That's what that means. I used to get tickled with Elder Dan Bryant down in middle Georgia. He said, you know what now means? It means right now. That's what he'd say. <laughs> now and from now on. We are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Brother C.W. Helms is here this morning. He's just finished up building my new house. Very nice place on the hill over there in Stanley County. You know, when they were building that house, you know, they had all the rafters done. You know, if Brother C.W. was just sitting on those rafters, I suppose we could take a rock if we just got mean enough and knock old Brother C.W. off those rafters. Could we not? If I was just sitting on the rafters of the house, and I mean, somebody get mean, they could just knock me off the rafters if I was just on it. But if I was in the rafters, the only way to get me down is you got to take the whole house down. Does that make sense? If we're on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be brought down. But if we're in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way to bring us down is bring him down. And could you show me a power that's able to bring him down? There is none. We are in him, eternally preserved in him. And the Bible says that we're kept in his hand. You remember John chapter 10 and verse 27 when Jesus said, My sheep, that's his people, hear my voice. And he's making reference to the new birth and the resurrection at the last day. 
My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, which means never, no, never. Neither shall any man be able to pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know, to take something from someone's hand by force, you'd have to be stronger than them. But Jesus said, no man is greater than his Father. Who is able to pluck us from his hand when his hand is greater than all hands? And have you ever heard one, somebody say, you know, them primitive Baptists, they just believe there's going to be a handful in heaven. <laughs> you wouldn't believe some of the things I've heard about the primitive Baptists. Oh, the Prairie Baptists, they believe it's just going to be us four and a few more. You know, the old frozen chosen, just heaven to be a little place. That's what they believe. That's not what the Prairie Baptists believe. I believe it would be a handful in heaven, but not my hand. God's hand. God's hand. Because we're all in his hand, and that's a number that no man can number out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation as the sand by the seashore and as the stars of heaven. If you get to a point where you can count all the sands of the seashore, According to Paul in this book of Galatians, then you know how many children of God is going to be in heaven. Till you get to that point, you don't know how many is going to be there. It's going to be a multitude. Heaven is a big, big place. And there's only one group that believes there's going to be more in heaven than the primitive Baptists, and that's the Universalists. The Universalists believes everybody's going to be there. I know everybody's not going to be there because I know Esau's not there. I know there's people that's not there like that king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14. He lifted up his eyes in hell. But I believe that most of the people on earth are children of God. They just don't know in their mind how they are children of God. Someone would say, well, Brother Ronnie, why do you like that so much? Well, it gives me hope. See, the more of this in Jesus Christ, the more hope I have. There's hope for me. But we're preserved in him. If you've been convinced by the Holy Spirit in your mind, convinced by the gospel, assured in the Lord Jesus Christ... If you can look in your life and examine your life and see evidence of grace in your life, loving God, showing faith in your life, believing in the Lord, doing good works, praise God, that would not have happened if you weren't a born-again child of God. And if you are a born-again child of God, there is no power that's going to change it. You will be in heaven one day with Jesus. But this text says these people that are born-again children of God, that believe the truth, that'll be in heaven one day, Jesus is in them and they are in him. Paul said, you fall from grace. What grace did they fall from? Well, it could be eternal grace because we can't fall from that. They didn't stop being a child of God. What, they, what happened? They fell from the service of grace. See, because they adopted this, unless I'm circumcised, I can't be a child of God. They ceased to serve Jesus Christ in thanksgiving for grace and begin to serve him in order to try to get grace. See, if salvation is by my works, it's not by grace. I'm earning it, right? I'm working to earn it. I mean, something's paid to a man because he earns it. He earns it. Paul is saying, look, if eternal salvation, you have it because you're being circumcised after the law. If you're just doing something, you don't have it by grace. You got it because you earned it. You earned it, and you fell from the service of grace. Brothers and sisters, we're not here this morning trying to work our way into heaven. We're gathered together this morning praising God who's given us hope in our life that we belong to him, that he saved us by his grace, that his blood on the cross of Calvary was sufficient to pay for all of our sins. That's service in grace. Now, I do believe that the Lord rewards us temporally. He gives us temporal rewards in obedience. I believe God will bless us for doing right as his children, as his children. But brothers and sisters, none of us have earned eternal salvation. I'll go as far as this. The Bible says that none of us are worthy of eternal salvation. 
Jacob said in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of his mercies and truth. I remember a centurion in humility said in Luke chapter 7, he said, I'm not worthy that you would abide under my roof. I remember a prodigal son when he came home to his father, and I tell you what, that boy stunk. He smelled like pigs, but his daddy still hugged his neck. He says, Daddy, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. I'm not worthy. I love that hymn. Lord, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. I'm not worthy. I haven't earned it. If I'm his child and I believe I am this morning, it's by grace and grace alone. And I'm here this morning not to try to earn that, but to thank him that he's given this poor sinner hope in him that he died for all my sins on the cross of Calvary. But these people, they fell from the service of grace. You know, we the children of God, if our mind is turned from the truth of the sufficiency of Calvary, of the sufficiency of God and his power and saving his children, our mind can be turned from this, this service, this precious service that we have in grace, in grace. But that's not all we can fall from. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 is the first letter in verse 1 that was written to the seven churches of Asia. These were seven churches, seven actual church bodies, seven autonomous church bodies. I know they were because Laodicea is mentioned in the book of Colossians. These were groups of believers that gathered together. And this first one that's mentioned is the church in Ephesus. Paul had written a letter, six chapters of them, just commending them for their stand for the truth and love for God and their devotion for him. But, wow, something has happened. Something's happened since Paul, since Paul wrote that letter. Notice it said in verse 1, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write. This word angel here literally means messenger. It's the pastor of the church. And I know what you're thinking, Brother Ronnie, don't tell me you're an angel. I'm not telling you I'm an angel. <laughs> Uh, this was God calling these pastors angels. This is not a pastor calling himself an angel. To the angel, or the pastor of the church at Ephesus, write, These things saith he that beholdeth the seven stars, that's the seven churches, in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the candlesticks. The stars were the pastors of the churches again, the seven golden candlesticks were the churches. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. What they did, they put things to the test. Test. Let's put it to the test. How do you put things to the test? By the word of God. That's it. Test it. You know, any sincere man of God that preaches wants to be tested. Test me. If what I'm saying is not true, take the word of God and prove me wrong. And I will assure you, if you can take the word of God and prove me wrong, I'll change my mind. I'm old enough to know I could be wrong. But if I'm wrong, I have to be proven I'm wrong by the word of God. These people had tested what had been done, and they found people to be liars, not telling the truth. Verse 3, it has borne and had patience for my namesake, and has labored and not fainted. They had held on and not give up. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. They fell from something. And repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Remember from where you're fallen. Notice they left their first love. They didn't lose their first love. They left it, left it. They left something behind. 
Remember from whence thou art fallen. You know, you can't remember anything you haven't had. They had something. Remember from whence you were fallen. They had fell from something. What had they fell from? They fell from a devotion. A devotion to the God of all grace. You know, the Bible calls on us as children to have hope in our heart that we belong to Him, to be devoted to God, to put Him first in our life, to put His service in the house of God first in our life. Remember, Jesus said to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first in our life. I mean, He's the first one we should think of. Whatever we do, we should put Him and His church, the church body, first in our life. This church body had done that. These were children of God. They couldn't fall from eternal grace. They belonged to the Lord. They were saved by grace. My daddy used to say this. They were heaven-bought, heaven-bound, and hell-proof. That's what they were. <laughs> they fell from something. They fell from their devotion. Now, what happens when people lose devotion? They allow something to come between them and what they should be devoted to, Right? Brothers and sisters, we should be devoted to our marriage. I should be devoted to Sister Jennifer. She should be devoted to me as her husband. Devoted. But we all know in this world we live in, sometimes devotion to marriage doesn't go well, right? It kind of breaks up. What always happens? What always happens when something comes between, between them and that devotion that they should have to one another? These people were allowing something to come between them and their devotion of the Lord. You know, we should labor diligently not to allow anything come between us and our devotion to God. Nothing, nothing should come between me and God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 19, Luke chapter 18, Mark chapter 10, we find a rich young ruler. He was a child of God, born again child of God. The Lord loved him. He went away sorrowful. He was sorrowful in his heart because he knew what he was doing was wrong. If he knew what he was doing was wrong, he had light in him to know what he was doing was wrong. But he allowed something to come between him and the Lord and the fellowship of the Lord. What was it? His riches, his riches. He allowed that to come between. Lot, there's a man named Lot in the Old Testament. He's a born-again child of God. Look, Peter called him a righteous lot. He was a righteous man. He was a holy man because God paid for his sins on the cross of Calvary. He allowed the lust of this world come between him and his devotion to God. You read about Lot's life and how he lived by his own eyes, just looking out in the world, whatever he wanted. He went and God, instead of keeping his eyes focused on the Lord. And it was Abraham that kept his eyes focused on the Lord. And the Lord told Abraham, he said, I am Thy shield and exceeding great reward. What does he tell Abraham? Abraham, whatever you need in this life, you stay close to me and I'm able to give it to you. That's what he's saying. Stay close to me. Be devoted to me. But this church had fallen from that. Brothers and sisters, even the children of God that are devoted to the Lord and walking close with him, we can fall. We can fall from that devotion. And we should be diligent not to allow anything come between us and our devoted service to God that he would be first and we'd be willing to lose all else and still be standing in the right way. I think about men in times past that were willing, like John, the apostle, he was put on the Isle of Patmos, treated like a prisoner, but he would not be separated from his devotion to God. And the Bible says there in Revelation chapter 1 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Whoa, boy, that's big, isn't it? The Lord's day. 
Did he have a watch on that aisle? Did he have a calendar on that aisle? No, he did not. But I'll tell you, that day he saw the Lord alive. It meant something to him, and it meant something to him. Every first day of the week that come by, John remembered, this is the day that I saw my Savior alive. This is the Lord's day. I remember it. He didn't need a calendar. He didn't need a watch. He remembered that day. And I want to tell you, Brother John was not out on that Isle of Pappas. He'd have been in the house of God singing praise to the Lord and hearing the gospel preach or preaching himself. He was devoted to the Lord in his house. This church fell from something. They fell from their devotion. Let's notice something else we could fall from. You can go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And the Apostle Peter here writes to the brethren and sisters that had been scattered abroad because of the persecution that was in Jerusalem. And he tells them in verse 5 that they should be laboring to add to their faith. Notice he didn't say add faith. We can't add faith. We're given faith. <laughs> we have faith because the Lord is in us. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit, not the root of the Spirit. You don't get faith and then become a born-again child of God. No, you're a born-again child of God. The Holy Spirit's in you. And then you have an ability to bear faith. Show forth faith in God. Faith the fruit. He said there in verse 5, Give diligence to add to your faith. Faith, virtue, virtue there being strength and courage. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to hold on to your faith, you better have strength and courage because it's going to be tested. Virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. He said, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you so that ye shall neither be barren nor fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, he that doesn't have these things, he that's not growing in grace, He's blind. And he cannot see afar off and hath forgotten his purse of his old sins. Wow. What about a person that believed in the Lord and believed the Lord died for all their sins would even forget Jesus died for them? Go back into feeling condemned. Head hanging low. I tell you what, I'll bust hell's doors wide open one day. Verse 10, he said, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your, your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Make your calling and election sure to who? To God? No, God's sure. God knows. God knows his children by name. Make it sure to who? Make it sure to you. You. Make it sure to ourselves. Make your calling and election sure. Meaning, do these things. Serve God and be faithful to him. And you have more assurance that you belong to the Lord. I want to tell you, assurance and belong to the Lord is sweet. It is to me. I lived the first 16 years of my life condemned. I thought I was going to bust hell's doors wide open. I've got assurance now. I'm like the Shulamite. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. I've, I can sing that hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. That's special to me. How did the Shulamite, how was she able to say that? I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. You know what she's saying? I'm going to put my words to this. <laughs> Solomon he loves me and I love him and we're going to be together and nothing's going to keep us apart. That's what she's saying. How does she know that? He said, oh yeah, he's kissed me with the kisses of his mouth. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, Sister Jennifer's here today. You know, I loved Sister Jennifer long before I kissed her. I found out later she loved me long before she kissed me. But I remember we went on a date, went on a date, and I, I wanted to tell Jennifer I loved her, but I was so nervous. You may not believe this, but when Jennifer and I first started dating, she did all the talking. <laughs> Nobody doesn't believe it. It's all right. The truth is the truth, whether anybody believes it or not, right? 
Man, I went to tell her I loved her. Well, we got done with the date one time, and she reached up, she kissed me on the cheek. You know what I thought? Oh, Ronnie, you got a chance. <laughs> I got a chance. I think she loves me. Now, since then, she's kissed me on the cheek many times. That cheek is not when she, that kiss is not when she began to love me, but it shows that she loves me. Has the Lord ever kissed you to let you know that he loves you? You ever had something happen in your life that nobody else could have done? Nobody could. It had to be God, did it? I've had things happen in my life. There's no man could have done it. God had to do it. I'm going to be honest with you, brothers and sisters. I've met some of you here this morning. There's no way I could have arranged that meeting on my own. No way. God did it. God blessed me to get to meet you. God kissed me. God's done things for me in my life. Nobody could have done it. He kissed me on the cheek. And by that, I have assurance we're going to be together. She said he's held me in his arms. His, his left hand was under my head and his right arm did embrace me. Has God ever just held you in his arms and just carried you through the troubles of life? Have you ever been in trouble, had real trouble in your life, you didn't know what to do, and finally you get on the other side of it, you look back and you say, you know, God just carried me right through that entire mess. That's happened to me. Has it happened to you? These are evidences of God's love. He's showing you he loves you. And remembering those things and recalling those things gives us assurance we belong to the Lord. But you know, if we separate ourselves from the service of God, you know what's going to happen? We're going to fall from that assurance and, oh, I don't even know if I even belong to God. I don't know if I'll go to heaven. I, and see what that person is, he can't see it far off. See, he can't see past himself. See, the born-again child of God that's got assurance, he's taking his faith and he's looking into heaven. And he sees his standing before God. You know what the children of God they're standing before the Father is right now? It's just and holy and without blame because Jesus died for all their sins. But see, the child of God that can't see afar off, see, he's allowed this world, his separation from God, the devil, to get him where he can't see it. He's just like, I don't know. I'll tell you, I'm in trouble. He's still a born again child of God, but he's lost an assurance of grace. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to lose this assurance. <laughs> How many times have I said this? My daddy said, when you get happy in the house of God, daddy said, I'll tell you what, I can swing over hell on a rotten grapevine singing Amazing Grace. That's happy in the Lord, right? I want to be so happy and have so much assurance in the Lord. I can swing over hell on a rotten grapevine singing Amazing Grace. The devil can't touch me. You remember the children of Israel when they walked across the Red Sea and they walked on dry land and the waters were congealed on both sides? Don't you know some of them kids just looked at those congealed waters and poked it when they looked at them big fish in there? See, you know them big fish, them big little sharks, they can't touch me. You can't touch me. You can't touch me. God did this. God did this. And you know, when you've got assurance in the Lord, that's the way you are walking through life. You just look at all the troubles in life, all the troubles of the devil. You can't touch me. You know why? Because by the grace of God, I have him and he has me. Whoa, that's good. <laughs> I don't want to fall from that. We go a little further. We go to James chapter 1 and find James warning those that could fall to the temptations of life. Paul told us in 1 first, uh, first Corinthians. No, yes it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. He that standeth should take heed lest he fall, fall to temptations of, of life. Wow, this, the devil and the world has a lot of temptations to cause us to stray from the right way. We all should take heed because none of us are beyond any temptation of sin and trouble. 
I mean, any sin that anyone could commit, my flesh is here. I commit the same sin. I thank God for his temporal grace and his help. And see, I need to stay close to God and stay close to you because I need your fellowship and I need God's help that I wouldn't fall to those temptations. But we can fall to those temptations. What happened to David? 2 Samuel chapter 11, when he saw Bathsheba bathing, he called her and he committed adultery with that Uriah's wife and ended up having him murdered. He was tempted by sin. Children of God can be tempted by sin and fall into that temptation. Someone will say, Brother Ronnie, I don't want to get tempted by the sin of this world. You know, one way to prevent a lot of temptation is quit walking with the wrong crowds. That's why it's good to be in the house of God. You know, being in the house of God on Sunday, it saves me from a lot of trouble. It separates me. You know, there's a lot of trouble you can get into even on Sunday morning. Amen? Wow, there's a lot of trouble. I'll tell you, there's a lot of trouble you can get into on Saturday night. But if you're in the bed trying to get ready for church on Sunday, man, it saves you from a lot of trouble in this world. There's a lot of bad in this world that can tempt you. It can tempt me. And the best thing we can do is just separate ourselves from it. You know, I love what Joseph did there in Genesis chapter 39. You remember when Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph, come along with me? The Bible said he got himself out. He left. We should flee from a lot of temptations. Just get away from it and say, you know, all I need to be is close to God. You know, I have been in big crowds and felt all alone, and I have been all alone and felt alone, but brothers and sisters, truly, I have never been alone. Because he is always with me. And he is the only one that can fill my life and give me contentment and happiness. I've been in the airports all over the country and I felt all alone, even in a big crowd. But I was not alone. God was with me. I had been out on the road riding a bicycle by myself and I was alone, but I was not alone. I had God with me. And that's all I need really is God with me. I also need your fellowship. See, I need you to help me. Help me in my fellowship with God. That's why I love coming to the house of God on Sunday. These people could fall in temptations. And you say, Brother Ronnie, look, I know you've said these things we could fall from. We could fall from our service and grace. We could fall from our devotion and grace. We could fall from assurance and grace. We could, we could fall in the temptations of this world. That happened to me. I don't know what to do. Wow, you know what's good to remember? Oh, he's the God of all grace. He's the God of mercy. He's the God of comfort. Doesn't matter what, dear child of God, God loves you. He loves you. He cares about you. You know that old prodigal son, when he come back home, I said a while ago he had a stink to him. I don't, he had a stink. I mean, I'm going to tell you, brother and sister, he smelled worse than the fields of Union County during fertilizer season. <laughs> And that stinks pretty bad. He had a smell. If you got around him, you'd get done you. You know, when he come back home, you know what his daddy did? Man, I'll tell you what, boy. I can't believe you got yourself in all that mess, you know, after all I've done for you. You know, you get, get your backside out of here. Is that what he said? No. Mm-mm. His daddy embraced him. Get the fatty calf. Get the best robe. Put a ring on this boy's hand. Let everybody know he's my son. This is telling us about the Lord. And it's mercy he has for us. So even if we have, as his children, fail from things that we should stay with him, not fall in, God still loves you. And he's merciful to you. And I'm glad to tell you that our God is a God for his children. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, multiple.
chances and opportunities. I'm a living example of that. If God just threw away his children because he made mistakes, I've been gone a long time ago. But God has been merciful to me all the days of my life. I have a home in his church because God has been good to me all the days of my life. And if he would give me strength from this point forward, I want to do better to hold on to him, to be devoted to him, to be closer to him, that I have more assurance that I wouldn't be tempted by the things of the world. But when I am, remembering that he is my father and nothing can change it. May God richly bless us, our prayer.